this special bonus Democratic debate analysis episode is brought to you by your fellow listeners who happen to be our Patreon supporters. So if you know one, thank them. And if you're not one, think about joining them. <laughs> Without further ado, let's do this. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right. Buckle your seatbelts because what is in store is a whole bunch of Democrats talking. A lot of it. Jesse's fave, everybody. <laughs> no, it's okay. It just I want to prepare everyone. I'm sure they know, having looked at the the length of this episode, because we don't know how long it's going to be going in. But I know just based on the clips that I've prepared, it's a doozy. A lot was said. The first Democratic debate of this election cycle has happened, and uh, I think it was good. I think it was far more substantive and less showy than, of course, the Republicans, because there's no jackass Donald Trump on stage. And there was only five people to get to. So it still managed to be three hours long, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. Well, it was two hours of audio, a little over two hours of audio and three hours sitting there listening to this, Uh, which is extremely difficult to do. Excruciating. (laughs) So before we get started with kind of the clip plane and the and the uh, the analysis, I guess. I want to kind of go over what what my takeaways were and who won, who lost. I know there's a lot being said, and uh, I don't agree with all of it. One, I think Jim Webb, former senator from Virginia, is dunzo. I wrote, Brittany and I were taking notes as this was going on with timestamps, where to go back to and everything. And uh, Jim Webb, I wrote Webb dunzo many times throughout the evening. And just apart from being whiny, I was talking to somebody today and I said that I think that Jim Webb is to the right of John Kasich. I think he's more right wing than, than John Kasich. Therefore, not really a viable Democratic candidate. He was also whiny about how much time he got. Listen, when you go in at zero percent in the polls, you've got to expect you're not going to be asked an equal amount of questions. He was also more than whiny. I mean, he was kind of aggressive with Anderson, which really doesn't look good to people watching it. I was reading, you know, the reactions on Twitter as this was going on, and the public reacted very poorly to him being antagonistic to Anderson. And part of that is because, well, Anderson Cooper is the greatest human being on earth. (laughs) And you just don't treat him like that. Right, right. And two is, well, you don't you don't treat a moderator like that. Well period. Right. It's it's um contempt for the power structure. It's contempt for the rules that you agreed to right. prior to coming into the debate. Right. You wouldn't be there if you hadn't agreed mm-hmm. to the rules. Yes. 
it's not a fucking free-for-all. There are established rules relative to time and everything else that go on in organizing these things where all the camps have to agree. Yeah, and Anderson could have just been like, I'm sorry, what's your name again? Like, no one knows who you are, dude. Relax. Oh, that would have been awesome. Well, at one point he did say, you know, well, whining about his time. And Anderson said, well, you're wasting time right now talking about your time. (laughs) Anyway, so Webb is done. I think Webb will probably... I want to make an accurate prediction. So I'll say within two weeks, he's gone. But it wouldn't surprise me within the next two days, three days, that he he bows out. Um, Lincoln Chafee, it appears that he is running for vice president. <laughs> he Look, he's a policy wonk. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's a noble man. And I think he really has conviction about the things that he says he believes. But uh, he's just not up to snuff. Yeah, he... um was licking his lips a lot and like doing weird things with his lips and it was really distracting and i know that's a very superficial comment to make well, but it, it goes to nerves yeah if uh, you're nervous under these stakes jesus well what's gonna happen if you've got vladimir putin and you're staring that bear wrestling dictator down yeah, there needs to be, like, a presidential presence. By the way, I know he's not a dictator. I'm being euphemistic. There needs to be, like, a presidential presence with these people on stage. Absolutely there does. And, I mean, I got that from Jim Webb, but he was a little too much of, like... Entitlement. Yeah, and I got that from Martin O'Malley, certainly. I had I hadn't ever seen anything from him before. Yeah. And, of course, I, I get that from Hillary Clinton. Well, let's let's get to Martin O'Malley. Okay. Um, I think, well, let's put it this way. Uh, if we're naming a winner here, and I don't mean a, a winner like who did the best in the debate. I mean a winner as in who maybe gained the, the following, who gained from supporters. I just bit my tongue. Uh, <laughs> I would say it was Martin O'Malley. Hmm. I think that 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 Bernie and Hillary both came out awash. I think they came out flat. Neither one did really better than the other relative to gaining influence. Anybody's going to rise in the polls right now, it's going to be Martin O'Malley. Do you want me to tell you the results of this time poll, which I know is not an official poll. It's just readers going and voting. Well, that could be skewed just by... Right. It's it's not accurate. The different camps. But do you want me to tell you do, anyway? Do I want to know? Yes, because I almost feel like people are going there and voting for like someone just to be funny. Okay. Um. So Bernie Sanders has fifty eight percent on this this time poll. Please, it's Un- not non scientific. Yes. Um. Readers are just going there and clicking it. They can go multiple times and click and choose different people. Right. Um. Clinton has eleven percent. Jim Webb. Anyway. Jim Webb, twenty nine percent. He's second. There's a lot of Republicans voting in that. Uh, that's this what is- I think. Yes. <laughs> All I've seen is Republicans sharing Jim Webb quotes today. Right. Like, this is who we want. So anyway, uh, that's it. I think Webb is done. I think Chafee is done. I think uh, Bernie and Hillary really didn't do any damage to one another. They didn't. They didn't. N- neither one got footing on the other one. But O'Malley may have improved his position relative to name recognition and also just he has a good demeanor. Uh, he did do some weird shit where he he would face directly toward the person talking. I don't mean like gently turn his body oblique just a few degrees. He would turn straight on 
and like looks like perpendicular. At, it was weird. It was very weird. It he, was a little odd to see. He's also he's he's the Ben Carson of the Democrats. How dare you steal the things oh, that right. I say? You're so original with that. I am. No one thought what a boring dickhole <laughs> Martin O'Malley is before you said that he was the the Ben Carson of the Democrats. He's he's the slow talker <laughs> on stage. He's the kind of lullaby voice guy. Very yeah. when you juxtapose him against Bernie Sanders who, you know, gets your heart pumping and makes your energy go because of his accent and the way that he talks. You know, he's very he's a fast talker. He's yeah. loud. He's aggressive, kind of. So There's no way to ignore or fall asleep while he's talking. No. Yeah. You want to hear more. Absolutely. So so let's let's get into this. They started with the, of course, opening statements, which we will play, and I will announce who they are, as well as with the closing statements, because Kathy, listener Kathy, Patreon supporter Kathy, was not happy with the way that I managed the show last time, and I'm going to correct that mistake. So sorry, Kathy. Sorry. <laughs> well, she needs to get the facts from the people that work for I her. I know. So. She, she has her people doing this, and here we are. The opening statement started with former senator from Rhode Island, Lincoln Chafee. Voters should assess the candidate's experience, character, and vision for the future as they make this important decision. I'm the only one running for president that has been a mayor, a United States senator, and a governor. As mayor, I brought labor peace to my city and kept taxes down. I was reelected three times. As a senator, I earned a reputation for courageous votes against the Bush-Cheney tax cuts that favored the wealthy, against the tragedy of the Iraq war, for environmental stewardship, for protection of our civil liberties, I served on the Foreign Relations Committee, and I chaired the Middle East Subcommittee for four years. As governor, I came in at the depths of the recession, and we turned my state around. Rhode Island had the biggest drop of the unemployment rate over my four budgets of all but one state. It happens to be Nevada, where we're having this debate. I'm very proud that over my almost 30 years of public service, I have had no scandals. I've always been honest. I have the courage to take the long-term view, and I've shown good judgment. I have high ethical standards. Ooh. As we look to the future, I want to address the income inequality, close the gap between the haves and the have-nots. I want to address climate change, a real threat to our planet. And I believe in prosperity through peace. I want to end these wars. I look forward to the discussion ahead. Thank you. Thank you very much, Governor. So Lincoln Chafee. Right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. I mean, <laughs> you know, you didn't know his name before. Most right. people, I would assume. Yeah. Um, but you definitely know it now because of that statement. And after he said that, I mean, Twitter was blowing up like, we hear you. Yeah, yeah. We we see you now. We we are listening to you because that was a direct comment toward Hillary Clinton. Yeah, but it was done in a, in a peaceable... Um, very surreptitiously. Yeah, civilized. It was very civil. Yeah. And he's just well, drawing... No, he's drawing a distinction without saying her name. No, he didn't even say, like, some of the people on the dais. He just said, look, I'm scandal-free. I, I run very ethical administrations when I'm in office. I, I've never had, 
the scrutiny of investigators come knocking on my door, mm-hmm. he's. I think it's very simple. I'm sure that Hillary Clinton felt it was passive aggressive. Well, of course it is, <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's not civil. So after each intro, I want to read the five facts about the candidates that CNN released yeah, before yeah. the debate. Do it. Um, so Lincoln Chafee, former governor of Rhode Island. I think you already said that. Um, I used to live in Rhode Island, by the way. Okay. So All right. real cool fact. <laughs> um, so, I thought we were giving factoids about Jesse D. No. Oh, all right. We already know enough about that. Okay. All right. Number one fact about Lincoln Chafee. He wants to change the United States to the metric system. No, I have no problem with that. I mean, I'll never learn it, but I think it's a good idea. I'll just be that old grandpa guy who, ah, went back in my day. Yes. But it's, it's, I think it's high time. It's only us and like one other African nation who, who, are, who follow the metric system. Is that true? I think so, yeah. Okay. Number two, he went to... Hor- that should be the thing you start looking up once you stop talking and then I start talking. Okay. <laughs> Will do. I'll get on it. Number two, he went to horse farrier school really? to so, learn horseshoeing. Yeah, he's the horseshoer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number three, late night talk show host Conan O'Brien launched a mission to get Chafee polling at 0% to 1%. <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, fellow presidential candidate Martin O'Malley was the person who encouraged him to switch parties. Because he did. He used to be a Republican. That's right. This is a great factoid. So, so was his father. They're both very liberal Republicans. Uh, number five, he's a Democrat from Rhode Island, was elected governor as an independent and senator as a Republican. And I think we might play a clip of Anderson asking him a question regarding his different hats that he's worn yeah. throughout his political he's career. He's granted. He's granted, he said. Well, that's good. Well, let's move on to the second opening statement. Jen Webb, former Marine... Jim Webb was a Marine, everybody. <laughs> former Marine and former Senator from Virginia. Senator Webb, you have two minutes. Thank you. You know, people are disgusted with the way that money has corrupted our political process, intimidating incumbents and empowering Wall Street every day with the turnstile government that we see and also the power of the financial sector in both parties. They're looking for a leader who understands how the system works, who has not been co-opted by it, and also who has a proven record of accomplishing different things. Um, I have a record of working across the political aisle. I've also spent more than half of my professional life away from politics in the independent world of being an author, a journalist, and a sole proprietor. In government service, I fought and bled for our country in Vietnam as a Marine. I spent years as Assistant Secretary of Defense, Secretary of the Navy in the Reagan administration. In the Senate, I spoke about economic fairness and social justice from day one. I also wrote and passed the best piece of veterans education legislation in history, the post-9-11 GI Bill. brought criminal justice reform out of the political shadows and into the national discussion. I led what later became called the strategic pivot to Asia two years before President Obama was elected. I know where my loyalties are. My mother grew up in the poverty of East Arkansas, chopping cotton, picking strawberries. Three of her seven siblings died in childhood. My wife, Hung, came to this country as a refugee from war-torn Vietnam, learned English, a language that was not spoken at home, and earned her way into Cornell Law School. I have five daughters. Amy works with disabled veterans. Sarah is an emergency room nurse. 
Julia is a massage therapist. Forgot his daughter's name. Stone School. Uh, (laughs) My son Jim fought as an infantry marine on the bloody streets of Ramadi. You may be sure that in a web administration, the highest priority will be the working people who every day go out and make this country stronger at home and who give us the right reputation and security overseas under a common sense foreign policy. Thank you. All right. Well, that should give you some indication of just how I think his optics are off relative to how he's perceived, because that's that's an aggressive coming out of the gate. The bloody streets of Ramadi. I mean, he's a he's a fired up, not your typical. I don't want to say Democrat, but Democrat, you know, he's just he doesn't have the the soft spoken Kind of the fluffy. No, I don't even know about that. I just, I, I, there's no, really no way for me to really explain how I conceptualize without being disparaging. No, wow, <laughs> can't fucking win over here. That's great. <laughs> Why don't you save this for the regular episodes? Okay. And <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to spend a bunch of time on Jim Webb because the American people aren't going to. He's going to be gone here in two weeks. But suffice it to say. Suffice it to say. This is just a taste of why he won't be around for another two weeks. So quickly, the facts about him. He's a former senator from Virginia. Number one fact, he is a decorated Vietnam veteran. Number two, he has written 10 books. Impressive. Number three, he won an Emmy for his PBS coverage of the Lebanese Civil War. Number four, he served as Secretary of the Navy under President Ronald Reagan. Right, which he just bragged about, which again, his messaging bone or nerve is off a kilter because that's not something you brag about to a democratic audience go ahead <laughs> number five he was the executive producer of the movie rules of engagement starring samuel l jackson and tommy lee jones you can tell that cnn was really doing some hard-hitting facts <laughs> over there these are real helpful yeah in assessing the candidates Oy. all right well let's move on to martin o'malley my projected winner, if you're looking at who is getting more support after the debate than before, do I need to keep explaining that, or do you think everybody understands? I think everybody understands. All right, so here you go, Kathy. Martin O'Malley. Governor O'Malley, you have two minutes. My name is Martin O'Malley, former mayor of Baltimore, former governor of Maryland, a lifelong Democrat, and most importantly, a husband and a father. My wife, Katie, and I have four great kids, Grace and Tara, and William and Jack, and like you, there is nothing we wouldn't do to give them healthier and better lives. There are some things that I have learned to do better in life than others. And after 15 years of executive experience, I have learned how to be an effective leader. Whether it was raising the minimum wage, making our public schools the best in America, passing marriage equality, the DREAM Act, and comprehensive gun safety legislation, I have learned how to get things done because I am very clear about my principles. Thanks to President Obama, our country has come a long way since the Wall Street crash of 2008. Our country's doing better. We are creating jobs again. But we elected a president, not a magician. And there is urgent work that needs to be done right now. For there is a, there is a, a deep injustice 
an economic injustice that threatens to tear our country apart, and it will not solve itself. Injustice does not solve itself. What I'm talking about is this. Our middle class is shrinking. Our poor families are becoming poor. And 70% of us are earning the same or less than we were 12 years ago. We need new leadership and we need action. The sort of action that will actually make wages go up again for all American families. Our economy isn't money. It's people. It's all of our people. And so we must invest in our country and the potential of our kids to make college a debt-free option for all families instead of saddling our kids with a lifetime of crushing debt. And we must square our shoulders to the great challenge of climate change and make this threat our opportunity. The future is what we make of it. We are all in this together. And the question in this election is whether you and I still have the ability to give our kids a better future. I believe we do. That is why I am running for president, and I need your help. Thank you. Well, two things here. Uh, one is the funny little line that he talks about, we need to square our shoulders. Well, he squared his shoulders to every single person who spoke on the dais that night because he squared up on everybody. It was a weird... He didn't come across as aggressive because of his nature, because of his demeanor, but it was weird. Don't you think it was an awkward, didn't seem natural kind of a thing? Yeah, I mean, although I've heard people talk about it, and they thought it was positive. I don't know how anybody could perceive that as positive. I thought it was very weird. Yeah, I remember watching Anderson talk to Blitz afterward. Um, Blitz. Yeah, and... (laughs) uh, Blitz, no, Anderson said that he really liked it, that he thought it was, I mean, I can't remember exact phrasing. Maybe but, it came across different, like on stage, in person, but yeah. on TV, I, I think it came across as weird. Maybe they thought it was, he was giving them, you know, his full attention or something. Yeah. I don't know. It did seem huh. odd, though. And then the other thing is, th- you could tell that they were the first time jitters going on because it didn't really play in audio. You couldn't really tell that it was happening by li- re-listening to it. But if you remember, he had trouble finding his words and mm-hmm. he was like staring off into space like, oh, fuck, I'm losing my place in my opening statement, what I'm supposed to say. Yeah. But he, he got over that pretty quick because he uh, he performed pretty well. What are the five facts about O'Malley? So former governor of Maryland, number one, he is a longtime guitarist and plays in a Celtic rock band called O'Malley's March. Number two, the Wire character Tommy Carsetti is loosely based on O'Malley, who served as Baltimore's mayor. Number three, before running for president, he was a public supporter of Hillary Clinton. Number four, while in law school, he served as state field director for then-rep Barbara Mikul... Mikulski. Barbara Mikulski. Senator from Maryland. Yes. You like that? Number five... Brittany. Yes. Look at me. Real good. Do you like that? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to read. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Number five, he would be the first president born in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. Really digging deep there. Hard hitting. All right, Kathy, here you go. Bernie Sanders. Governor Malley, thank you very much. Senator Sanders. Anderson, thank you very much. I think most Americans understand that our country today faces a series of unprecedented crises. The middle class of this country for the last 40 years has been disappearing. Millions of Americans are working longer hours for lower wages, and yet almost all of the new income and wealth being created 
is going to the top 1%. As a result of this disastrous Citizens United Supreme Court decision, our campaign finance system is corrupt and is undermining American democracy. Millionaires and billionaires are pouring unbelievable sums of money into the political process in order to fund super PACs and to elect candidates who represent their interests, not the interests of working people. Today, the scientific community is virtually unanimous. Climate change is real. It is caused by human activity. And we have a moral responsibility to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy and leave this planet a habitable planet for our children and our grandchildren. Today in America, we have more people in jail than any other country on earth. African-American youth unemployment is 51%. Hispanic youth unemployment is 36%. It seems to me that instead of building more jails and providing more incarceration, Maybe, just maybe, we should be putting money into education and jobs for our kids. What this campaign is about is whether we can mobilize our people to take back our government from a handful of billionaires and create the vibrant democracy we know we can and should have. Thank you. So a big difference that you'll notice is the other candidates have talked about themselves a lot. And yeah. Bernie Sanders didn't talk about himself. He talked about his campaign and what his campaign represents and the issues that he cares about. I I would say that's in line with his demeanor relative to how he wants to tackle the. It's because it's not about him. He doesn't run, run. I mean, he doesn't want or seem to... Uh, strategically try to run a personality-based uh, campaign, although it ends up being one because he's a personality. He's different. He's not your average, typical, you know, Martin O'Malley or, you know, Mitt Romney type of politician. But uh, he's... It's not about him. It's about the message. It's about the work. It's about us, the people. He does, and we'll get into this later, he does bring... Him, he does mention himself in the third person... Twice, twice that I remember talked about Bernie Sanders doing this or Bernie Sanders doing that like he's a fucking NFL player. Anyway, what are the five things about Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders, senator from Vermont. Number one, he's a self-described socialist and is an independent, not technically registered as a Democrat. This is his first Democratic primary. And it's for president of the United States because he's always been an independent. Number two, he was born and grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Number three, he released a folk album in 2014 that was recorded in 1987. And it is terrible. (laughs) Number four. El Terrible. (laughs) Number four, his father's family died in the Holocaust. No bueno. Oh, wait. Well, I can't no bueno that. I mean, I can no bueno that. That's terrible. Did his dad really die in the Holocaust? How did I not know that? His father's family, it says. I don't don't know if his dad did or if it's just the family. And Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. 
Uh, number five, if he wins, he would be the oldest elected president in U.S. history. He's currently 74 years old. Right. But had life expectancy has gone up since the election of Ronald Reagan in 1980. Nah. When he was the oldest elected president. Oh, and he just turned 74. His birthday was on September 8th. Right. So he could, you know, he's got at least one administration in him. <laughs> All right, Kathy, here you go. Hillary Clinton. Secretary Clinton. Well, thank you. And thanks to everyone for hosting this first of the Democratic debates. I'm Hillary Clinton. I have been <laughs> proud and privileged to serve as First Lady, as a senator from New York and as Secretary of State. I'm the granddaughter of a factory worker and the grandmother of a wonderful one-year-old child. There it is. And every day I think about what we need to do to make sure that opportunity is available, not just for her, but for all of our children. I have spent a very long time, my entire adult life, looking for ways to even the odds to help people have a chance to get ahead. And in particular, to find the ways for each child to live up to his or her God-given potential. I've traveled across our country over the last months listening and learning, and I've put forward specific plans about how we're going to create more good-paying jobs by investing in infrastructure and clean energy, by making it possible once again to invest in science and research and taking the opportunity posed by climate change to grow our economy. At the center of my campaign is how we're going to raise wages. Yes, of course, raise the minimum wage, but we have to do so much more, including finding ways so that companies share profits with the workers who help to make them. And then we have to figure out how we're going to make the tax system wow. a fairer one. Right now, the wealthy pay too little and the middle class pays too much. So I have specific recommendations about how we're going to close those loopholes, make it clear that the wealthy will have to pay their fair share and have a series of tax cuts for middle class families. And I want to do more to help us balance family and work. I believe in equal pay for equal work for women, but I also believe it's about time we had paid family leave for American families and join the rest of the world. During the course of the evening tonight, I'll have a chance to lay out all of my plans and the work that I've done behind them. But for me, this is about bringing our country together again. And I will do everything I can to heal the divides, the divides economically, because there's too much inequality, the racial divides, the continuing discrimination against the LGBT community, so that we will work together. And yes, finally, fathers will be able to say to their daughters, you too can grow up to be president. All right, Hillary Clinton. Wow, new stuff from her. We've never heard any of that. Uh, she, you know, she did as as uh, expected. She's well polished. She's done this before. She debated Barack Obama in the in the initial '08 campaign many times. And, you know, she's she's a, a seasoned politician. So if you're surprised that she did well, it's because you're not uh, a student of the history of politics and you don't really take note of the fact that she's she's been here before. 
So they started off the debate. You don't want the five facts about Hillary? Oh, yeah. Well, like everybody doesn't already know. Okay, five facts. Let's see these five remarkable facts that no one's ever heard about Hillary Clinton. During college in 1969, she worked in a canning factory in Alaska. She was also president of the Young Republicans in college. Is that the next thing? Yes. Is it really? Yes. (laughs) Number two, she is the first lady elected to the... She is the first lady... She is the first first lady, there we go, elected to the United <laughs> States Senate. Uh, number three, this is her second time running for president. In 2008, she lost the nomination to Barack Obama. Come on, CNN. I know. There's nothing that we don't know about Hillary no, Clinton. No, this is a good one. Number four, she hasn't driven a car since 1996. All right, well, that's dumb. No one needs to know that. But well, it's, I mean, really, th- these are... It's real important. She was a partner at the Rose Law Firm in Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay, here's the last one, I mean, number five. To, I could give you all kinds of facts. Number five, she loves reading detective fiction. Oh, Christ on a fucking cross. Are you kidding me? Is that one of the five facts? It is. Ugh, Jesus Christ. You're welcome, everybody. Hey, CNN. Good job digging deep for your five facts, assholes. All right. They, I say assholes about CNN in general, but not about Anderson Cooper. He started off fiery, to say the least. He went on an onslaught questioning everybody about their electability and about their flip-flops. And he started with Hillary Clinton. Plenty of politicians evolve on issues, but even some Democrats believe you change your positions based on political expediency. You are against same-sex marriage. Now you're for it. You defended President Obama's immigration policies. Now you say they're too harsh. You supported his trade deal dozens of times. You even called it the gold standard. Now suddenly last week, you're against it. Will you say anything to get elected? Well, actually, I have been very consistent over the course of my entire life. I have always fought for the same values and principles. But like most human beings, including those of us who run for office, I do absorb new information. I do look at what's happening in the world. Um, You know, take the trade deal. I did say when I was secretary of state three years ago that I hoped it would be the gold standard. Minus the hoping. It was just finally negotiated. Yeah, let's talk about that. She didn't hope it would be the gold standard. She said it is the gold standard. And the trade deal specifically that they're talking about is the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. She said, and maybe it's, oh, well, she's Secretary of State. She has to say it. She doesn't have to say it. She just can say nothing. Well, I think it's funny how Anderson points out all of these inconsistencies and then just like, you know, every politician does, the first sentence that comes out of her mouth is, well, I've been very consistent. Okay, well, he just pointed out several areas in which you have not. Well, the other thing is, well, when, you know, when I get new information, well, he also talked about your position on gay marriage. What new information did you get that changed your mind about gay marriage? I guess she can't hear me. And I I can't answer for her either. So you're looking at me and I don't know. Seriously, what fucking new information, Hillary Clinton? There is no new information. You were just pandering because that's where the polls were at the time. And you were afraid because of electability. And it's bullshit. Just like it is with the Republicans. The same rules apply for you. Last week. And in looking at it, it didn't meet my standards, my standards for more new good jobs for Americans, for raising wages for Americans. And I want to make sure that I can look into the eyes of any middle class American and say, this will help raise your wages. And I concluded I could not. 
Secretary Clinton, though, with all due respect, the question is really about political expediency. Just uh, in July, New Hampshire, you told the crowd you, quote, take a backseat to no one when it comes to progressive values. Last month in Ohio, you said you plead guilty to, quote, being kind of moderate and center. Do you change your political identity based on who you're talking to? No, I think that uh, like most people that I know, I have a range of views, but they are rooted in my values and my experience. And I don't take a backseat to anyone when it comes to progressive uh, experience and progressive commitment. Or progressive commitments, she says. Or that is unless you're in the Midwest when you're a moderate, because that's what plays in the Midwest. But when you're in New Hampshire, liberal, northeast, New England, New Hampshire, then you're a progressive and you, oh, you fight for progressive causes. Here's the thing, and I don't know when this is going to end in America, in American politics. When is the American voter going to realize that there's a thing called YouTube? There's a thing called podcasts where you can listen and hear the inconsistencies in these politicians' tropes, depending upon to what audience they're speaking. Because she's maybe one of the worst. And, ugh. You know, when I left law school, my first job was with the Children's Defense Fund. And for all the years since, I have been focused on how we're going to unstack the deck and how we're going to make it possible for more people to have the experience I had you know, to be able to come from a grandfather who was a factory worker, a father who was a small business person, and now asking the people of America to elect me president. What does this Just for have the record, to do with Are you it? a progressive or are you a moderate? I'm a progressive, but I'm a progressive who likes to get things done. And I know how to find common what? ground, and I know how to stand my ground, and I have proved that in every position that I've had, even dealing with Republicans who never had a good word to say about me, honestly. But we found ways to work together on everything from reforming foster care and adoption to the children's health insurance program, which insures 8 million kids. So I have a long history of getting things done rooted in the same values I've always had. Senator Sanders. I, I would say this about Anderson Cooper. If I have one criticism for him and his performance, it was the fact that he let her slide more often than the men. Hmm. And I don't know if that's just because he doesn't want to be perceived as a bully male in the presence of a woman or what, but I think he let her slide a little too much. Mm, It might be your own bias, too. How so? Well, I don't agree with that. And you dislike her the most on that stage. Uh, yeah, that's probably true, but I, but I know that I'm open about that. That's not something I'm, I'm knowing your bias doesn't make you not biased. All right. Let's move on. I'm a biased person. What are, what am I going to do? Uh, he went on to ask Sanders about his electability. And it. I don't think in a general election, it really does point to the vulnerability that Sanders is going to face. Senator Sanders, a Gallup poll says half the country would not put a socialist in the White House. You call yourself a democratic socialist. How can any kind of socialist win a general election in the United States? Well, we're going to win because first we're going to explain what democratic socialism is. And what democratic socialism is about is saying that it is immoral and wrong that the top one-tenth of one percent in this country own almost 90 percent, almost own almost as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent. 
that it is wrong today in a rigged economy that 57 percent of all new income is going to the top one percent. That when you look around the world, you see every other major country providing health care to all people as a right, except the United States. You see every other major country saying to moms that when you have a baby, we're not going to separate you from your newborn baby because we are going to have, but we are going to have medical and family paid leave like every other country on earth. Those are some of the principles that I believe in. And I think we should look to countries like Denmark, like Sweden and Norway and learn from what they have accomplished for their working people. Denmark is a country that has a population. Denmark is a country that has a population of 5.6 million people. The question is really about electability here, and that's what I'm trying to get at. You, the, the, the Republican attack act against you in a general election it writes itself. You supported the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. You honeymooned in the Soviet Union, and just this weekend you said you're not a capitalist. Doesn't doesn't that ad write itself? Well, first of all, let's look at the facts. The facts that are very simple. Republicans win when there is a low voter turnout, and that is what happened last November. 63% of the American people didn't vote, Anderson. 80% of young people didn't vote. We are bringing out huge turnouts and creating excitement all over this country. Democrats at the White House on down will win when there is excitement and a large voter turnout, and that is what this campaign is doing. You don't consider yourself a capitalist, though. Do I consider myself part of the casino capitalist process by which so few have so much and so many have so little, by which Wall Street's greed and recklessness wreck this economy? No, I don't. I believe in a society where all people do well, not just a handful of billionaires. Well, I don't think that's going to play. There's two things. There's three things there. One is the whole casino capitalist Listen, we need to tweak our system. That's certain. I think that the these speculation investment bank kind of things, these commercial banks that, that toy with people's money and then leave them penniless, that's a problem. That's certainly a problem that anyone can say is a difficult situation in our economic system. However, you can't just disavow capitalism altogether. It is, it is the one force in the world that creates mobile uh mobility for for the classes i grew up poor on welfare as, as did you Brittany. Mm-hmm. and capitalism provides opportunity that other economic systems don't provide for upward mobility the other two things that are very problematic especially in perspective of, of a general election is the fact that he was pro-Sandinista, which is a communist rebel group, and the fact that he honeymooned in the USSR, in the so- the former Soviet Union, which was an enemy of the United States. These things aren't going to play well in a general election. And those are the two things that he completely avoided talking about. Well, and I think that's why Anderson brought them up. Yeah, well, and it should be brought up. Well, next up, is a little exchange between Hillary Clinton and and Bernie Sanders, a little back and forth on economic inequality. Just so let me just be clear: Is there any bill anybody else on the stage who's not a capitalist? 
Well, let, let, let me just follow up on that, Anderson. Nobody raised their hands. When I think about capitalism, I think about all the small businesses that were started because we have the opportunity and the freedom in our country for people to do that and to make a good living for themselves and their families. And I don't think we should confuse what we have to do every so often in America, which is save capitalism from itself. And I think what Senator Sanders is saying certainly makes sense in the terms of the inequality that we have. But we are not Denmark. I love Denmark. We are the United States of America, and it's our job to rein in the excesses of capitalism so that it doesn't run amok and doesn't cause the kind of inequities that we're seeing in our economic system. But we would be making a grave mistake to turn our backs on what built the greatest middle class in the history Senator of the Sanders? World. I mean, everybody is in agreement that we are a great entrepreneurial nation. We have got to encourage that. Of course, we have to support small and medium-sized businesses. But you can have all of the growth that you want, and it doesn't mean anything if all of the new income and wealth is going to the top 1%. So what we need to do is support small and medium-sized businesses, the backbone of our economy, but we have to make sure that every family in this country gets a fair share. So awesome that he says no when asked the question about capitalism. No. He gave some sideways answer about casino capitalism rather than just saying, yeah, I agree with capitalism, but I disagree with this, blah, blah, blah. And then here, when when she gives a great politically intelligent answer, he says, oh, wait, well, oh, I love small and medium businesses. We're an entrepreneurial nation. That's capitalism. That is capitalism. So don't act like you're not a capitalist or tell the truth about what you actually are. This was a low point for me with Bernie Sanders. So moving on, Anderson Cooper hitting him out of the park real early. I mean, the first hour of this debate and the first half of the next hour were the best for me. It was pretty shocking. It was great because... No, it was fantastic. Anderson Cooper is, by all accounts, a Democrat. He votes Democratic. I'm sure. He might be registered independent, but that's only for appearances because he's a gay man living in the United States and he's also intelligent. Uh, He's not voting for a group of people who are trying to strip away his civil rights. And I do want to talk about that, but we can wait till the end. All right. Well, he asks on the next question... That we're going to cover, I guess. <laughs> Lincoln Chafee about his party switching, which we talked about earlier. Hey, Governor Chafee, you've been everything but a socialist. When you were senator from Rhode Island, you were a Republican. When you were elected governor, you were an independent. You've only been a Democrat for a little more than two years. Why should Democratic voters trust you won't change again? Anderson, you're looking at a block of granite when it comes to the issues. Whether it seems like pretty soft granite, though. I mean, you've been a Republican, you've been an independent. <laughs> Did you hear what I Democrat. said on the issues? I have not changed on the issues. I was a liberal Republican, then I was an independent, and now I'm a proud Democrat, but I have not changed on the issues. And I open my record to scrutiny, whether it's on the environment, a woman's right to choose, gay marriage, fiscal responsibility, aversion to foreign entanglements, using the tools of government to help the less fortunate. Time and time again, I have never changed. You're looking at a block of granite when it comes to the issue. So why have not changed labels? The party left me. There's no doubt about that. There was no room for a liberal, moderate Republican in that party. 
I even had a primary for my re-election in 2006. I won it, but the money poured in to defeat me in Rhode Island as a Republican. That's what we were up against. That is a great that is a great exchange, and I think Lincoln Chafee came out on top of that. Because Anderson Cooper, while asking why change labels, he knows the answer. He agrees with the answer, but he has to ask the question mm-hmm. because it needs to be answered. Yes. It's awesome. So in this next segment, they he he starts mixing it up with Bernie Sanders on his record on gun control which is not only topical today, but also kind of a weak spot for Bernie Sanders relative to uh, the elect- the Democratic electorate. And this was probably the most contentious moment of the debate. We're going to start with the guns. The shooting in Oregon earlier this month, once again, it brought the issue of guns into the national conversation. Over the last week, guns have been the most discussed political topic on Facebook by two to one. Senator Sanders... You voted against the Brady Bill and mandated background checks in a waiting period. You also supported allowing riders to bring guns in check bags on Amtrak trains. For a decade, you said that holding gun manufacturers legally responsible for mass shootings is a bad idea. Now you say you're reconsidering that. Which is it? Shield the gun companies from lawsuits or not? Well, well, let's begin, Anderson, by understanding uh, that Bernie Sanders has a D-minus from the NRA. Let's also understand... That back in 1988, when I first ran for the United States Congress, way back then, I told the gun owners of the state of Vermont and I told the people of the state of Vermont, a state which has virtually no gun control, that I supported a ban on assault weapons. And over the years, I have strongly supported instant background checks, doing away with this terrible gun show loophole. And I think we've got to move aggressively at the federal level in dealing with the straw man purchases. Also, I believe, and I fought for, to understand that there are thousands of people in this country today who are suicidal, who are homicidal, but can't get the health care that they need, the mental health care, because they don't have insurance or they're too poor. I believe that everybody in this country has a mental crisis, has got to get mental health counseling immediately. Do you want to shield gun companies from lawsuits or not? Of course not. This was a large and complicated bill. There were provisions in it that I think made sense. For example, do I think that a gun shop in the state of Vermont that sells legally a gun to somebody, and that somebody goes out and does something crazy, that that gun shop owner should be held responsible. I don't. On the other hand, where you have manufacturers and where you have gun shops knowingly giving guns to criminals or aiding and abetting that, of course we should take action. Where in America right now are there gun shops or gun manufacturers giving guns knowingly to criminals. Where's that happening? This is pandering talk, which is not typical for Bernie Sanders. Kind of bums me out. Because I like him because of his integrity. But that statement, especially when uh, juxtaposed against his voting record, where he has indemnified gun manufacturers from lawsuits, he doesn't, which they should be. It's a legal product in this country. It's like an auto manufacturer. People aren't going to like this analogy, but it's like an auto manufacturer. When a crazy person gets behind the wheel and smashes into a crowd of people, no one cries for Toyota to be brought up on charges or sued because of, for, for, for whatever reason. It's the same thing with a gun company. It, whether you like it or not, it is the same thing. 
you know, I mean, I, I don't like to uh, mix it up in the gun control debate thing like you do, but <laughs> to your point that you just met, made, I saw a quote about Cecil the Lion, and people were saying no one blamed the gun when the Cecil the Lion thing happened. Oh, they blamed wow. the hunter. That's a gr- that is an awesome. I wish I would have thought of that or stolen that. That's so great. I'm just providing <laughs> you additional ammunition for your arguments. But no, um, no pun intended with ammunition. <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, Bernie Sanders. Though I just really quick to your point about him being honest on Politifact.com, he has no pants on fire ratings for his statements. Right. Well, that's why it surprises me when he panders because it's. He is an honorable guy relative to his positions. He has 13 mostly true, six true, six half true, and only nine in the false area. Hmm. So he generally is saying truthful things, it appears. Well, the gun issue continued. Secretary Clinton, is Bernie Sanders tough enough on guns? No, not at all. I think that we have to look at the fact that we lose 90 people a day from gun violence This has gone on too long, and it's time the entire country stood up against the NRA. The majority of our country supports background checks, and even the majority of gun owners do. Senator Sanders did vote five times against the Brady Bill. True. Since it was passed, more than two million prohibited purchases have been prevented. He also did vote, as he said, for this immunity provision. I voted against it. I was in the Senate at the same time. It wasn't that complicated to me. It was pretty straightforward to me that he was going to give immunity to the only industry in America. Everybody else has to be accountable, but not the gun manufacturers. And we need to stand up and say enough of that. We're not going to let it continue. We're going to bring you all in on this, but Senator Sanders, you have to be able to respond. As a senator from a rural state, what I can tell Secretary Clinton that all the shouting in the world is not going to do what I would hope all of us want, and that is keep guns out of the hands of people who should not have those guns and end this horrible violence that we are seeing. I believe that there is a consensus in this country, a consensus that said we need to strengthen and expand instant background checks, do away with this gun show loophole, that we have to address the issue of mental health, that we have to deal with the straw man purchasing issue, and that when we develop that consensus, we can finally, finally do something to address this government. I think that that comment right there, that all the shouting in the world isn't going to blah, 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 that was in direct result or an indirect um, answer to her shouting, her shrill Hillary Clinton voice, and I think that was a politically calculated, Bias. prepared move. You don't think she has a shrill voice? No. You, really? No. <laughs> that is your bias. No, it's not my bias. It is. It is your hatred it of is Hillary not. Clinton. It is not. Because the statement Her that I... shrill voice. All right, moving on. Shrill, high-pitched and piercing, a shrill sound or cry. You think that her voice is high-pitched and piercing? Yes, when she goes into that tone where she's in her higher volume levels, where what he classified as shouting, that was a a calculated, prepared statement about no shouting in the world is going to blah, blah, blah. 
It made her very angry, by the way. Her face when he said that changed and she was not happy. Yeah, well, she can't help it that that's the tone that her voice hits when she <laughs> starts raising her voice. Oh. I'm, listen, it has nothing to do with my dislike of Hillary Clinton. You Listen, if we were to... I'll bring in a music expert, a, a notes and, and music expert, and we could measure the tone, the tonality, and the quality of her voice when she gets up to that, that register. And it is shrill. It is high-pitched, and it pierces into my fucking ear like an ice pick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dramatic. All right. Anderson Cooper now finally moves on to, to Jim Webb. Can I say what the Brady bill is really quick? Because they said that Bernie oh, Sanders yeah. voted against the Brady bill. Well, Jim Brady was an aide to President Reagan who was crippled when shot during the attempted assassinate, assassination attempt of Ronald Reagan in 1981. But go ahead. So the Brady Bill requires that background checks be conducted on individuals before a firearm may be purchased from a federally licensed dealer, manufacturer, or importer, unless an exception applies. So Bernie Sanders voted against this bill that would require background checks. That's the point. Yeah, which is uh, kind of odd, considering the fact that he's so forward-looking in so many other areas. All right, moving on to uh, former Senator Jim Webb, who likes to complain about his time or lack thereof. Senator Webb, your rating from the NRA, you once had an A rating from the NRA. You said gun violence goes down when more people are allowed to carry guns. Would encouraging more people to be armed be part of your response to a mass shooting? Look, there, there are two fundamental issues that are involved in this discussion, and we need to pay respect to both of them. The first is the issue of who should be kept from having guns and using firearms. And we have done not a good job on that. A lot of them are criminals, and a lot of the people who are getting killed are members of gangs inside our urban areas, and a lot of them are mentally incapacitated. In the shooting in, uh, in Virginia Tech uh, in 07, uh, this individual had received uh, medical care for mental illness from three different professionals who were not allowed to share the information. So we do need background checks. We need to keep the people who should not have guns away from them. But we have to respect the tradition in this country of people who want to defend themselves and their family from violence. Senator. There are I mean, I, people are going back and forth here for 10 minutes here. You know, there are people at high levels in this government who have bodyguards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The average American does not have that and deserves the right to be able to protect their family. Jim Webb, Democratic candidate, A rating from the NRA. <laughs> Am I right? That's exactly right. Well, this is why I've been seeing conservatives sharing Jim Webb quotes today. Oh, yeah. Because they, they are. are very satisfied with him it's, as a candidate. It's too bad conservatives typically don't vote in a Democratic primary. All right. Well, we quite a, we, we switch topics here. And Lincoln Chafee is asked why Hillary Clinton isn't qualified for president because of her Iraq war vote. Governor Chafee, you were the only Republican in the Senate to vote against the Iraq war. You say Secretary Clinton should be disqualified from the presidency because she voted in favor of using force in Iraq. She has since said that her vote was a mistake. Why isn't that good enough? Well, we just heard Senator Sanders say that it's the worst decision in American history. That's very significant. The worst decision in American history, I just saw, heard from Senator Sanders. So as we look ahead, if you're going to make those 
poor judgment calls at critical time in our history. We just finished with the Vietnam era, getting back into another quagmire. Uh, If you're looking ahead and you're looking at someone that made that poor decision in 2002 to go into Iraq when there was no real evidence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, I know because I did my homework. And so that's an indication of how someone will perform in the future, and that's what's important. Secretary Clinton, he's questioning your judgment. Well, I I recall very well being on a debate stage, I think about 25 times with uh, then-Senator Obama, debating this very issue. After the election, he asked me to become Secretary of State. He valued my judgment, and I spent a lot of time with him. In the Situation Room, going over some very difficult issues. You know, I I agree completely. We don't want American troops on the ground in Syria. I never said that. What I said was we had to put together a coalition, in fact, something that I worked on before I left the State Department to do. And yes, it should include Arabs, people in the region, because what I worry about is what will happen with ISIS gaining more territory, having more reach, and frankly posing a threat to our friends and neighbors in the region and far beyond. So uh, I think uh, whether you're talking about the the tough decision that uh, President Obama had to make about Osama bin Laden, where I was one of his few advisors, or putting together that coalition to impose sanctions on Iran, I think I have a lot of evidence about what I would do. Yeah, but we didn't ask about your, your participation in the... Uh, Osama bin Laden raid. You just want to toss that in there. Nor did we ask you about your your participation in the agreement or the negotiation with Iran. You were asked specifically about your 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 Iraq war vote. So again, that is expert political calculation in her answer. It, she she knows what the Democratic base wants to hear, and she is an expert at supplying it. So this kind of foreign policy, military use question continued, and Dana Bash asked Bernie Sanders, exactly when is it? Well, I guess I'll just let her ask the question. Senator Sanders, Senator Sanders I want to bring you in here. My question for you is, as a congressman, uh, you voted against the Iraq War. You voted against the Gulf War. You're just talking about Syria. But under what circumstances would a President Sanders actually use force? Let me just respond to something the secretary said. Uh, First of all, she is talking about, as I understand, a no-fly zone in Syria, which I think is a very dangerous uh, situation, could lead to real problems. Second of all, I heard the same evidence from President Bush and Dick Cheney and Don Ronsfeld about why we should overthrow Saddam Hussein and get involved in the war. I would urge people to go to BernieSanders.com, hear what I said in 2002. And I say without any joy in my heart that much of what I thought would happen about the destabilization, in fact, did happen. So I think I think the president is trying very hard to thread a tough needle here, and that is to support those people who are against Assad, against ISIS, without getting us on the ground there. And that's the direction I believe we should have. But Senator Sanders, you didn't answer the question under what... Under what circumstances would you actually use force? Well, obviously, I voted when President Clinton said, let's stop ethnic cleansing in Kosovo. I voted for that. I voted to make sure that Osama bin Laden was held accountable in Afghanistan. When our country is threatened, 
or when our allies are threatened. I believe that we need coalitions to come together to address the major crises of this country. I do not support the United States getting involved in unilateral action. Let's work with our allies. I'm going to bring you So I submit that to you with no other comment other than Anderson Cooper had to bring him around and say, hey, by the way, you didn't answer the question. Up next, Martin O'Malley says that Hillary Clinton is too quick with military, and you'll hear Jim Webb whine a little bit. Will be seen as a blunder. Governor O'Malley, just to, for the record, on the campaign trail, you've been saying that Secretary Clinton is always quick for the, mil- for the military invention. Senator uh, Secretary Clinton, you can respond. Well, first Anderson, of all, can I I'm, get in this discussion at some point? Well, well, yes, you'll be coming in next, but she was directly <laughs> quoted. Thank you. So. I've been standing over here for about 10 minutes trying. Okay. It's just it's gone back Secretary. and forth over there. Well, I am in the middle here, and uh, lots, lots of things coming from all directions. You, um, you know, I have, I, I have to say I was very pleased when uh, Governor O'Malley endorsed me for president in 2008, and I enjoyed his strong support uh, in that campaign, and I consider him uh, obviously a friend. Let me say, because there's a lot of, of loose talk going on here, We are already flying in Syria, just as we are flying in Iraq. The president has made a very tough decision. What I believe and why I have advocated that the no-fly zone, which of course would be in a coalition, be put on the table is because I'm trying to figure out what leverage we have to get Russia to the table. You know, diplomacy is not about getting to the perfect solution. It's about how you balance the risk. Thank you. And I think we have an opportunity here. And I know that inside the administration, this is being hotly debated uh, to get that leverage to try to get the Russians to have to deal with everybody in the region to begin to move toward a political diplomatic solution. That time that was 16 seconds, by the way. Because the timer on the countdown of my clip player let me know exactly how much time was left when he said the first thank you. He let her go for a quarter of a minute. I would just like to say... That's my bias. That's your bias, Jesse. That you have selected all of the clips. Oh, really? And... The 41 clips. We are not playing that many, everybody. Don't ruin everybody's (laughs) life. They're going to shut it off right now. Don't say that. All right. Well, moving on, he asked everyone the greatest threat to the United States. 30 seconds for each of you. Governor Chafee, what is the greatest national security threat to the United States? It's certainly the chaos in the Middle East. There's no doubt about it. Okay. And it Go- all started with the Iraq invasion. Governor O'Malley? I believe that nuclear Iran remains the biggest threat along with the spread of ISIL. Climate change, of course, makes cascading threats even worse. Secretary Clinton, the greatest national security threat. I, I think it has to be continuing uh, threat from the spread of nuclear weapons, nuclear material that can fall into the wrong hands. I know the terrorists are constantly seeking it, and that's why we have to stay vigilant, but also united uh, around the world to prevent that. Senator Sanders, greatest national security threat. The scientific threat. community is telling us if we do not address the global crisis of climate change, transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to sustainable energy, the planet that we're going to be leaving our kids and our grandchildren may well not be habitable. That is a major crisis. Senator Webb. Our greatest long-term strategic challenge is our relations with China. Our greatest day-to-day threat is cyber warfare against this country. Our greatest military operational threat is resolving these situations in the Middle East. I would say this. 
Bernie Sanders received larger applause lines and longer applause lines than any other candidate on stage. So good, good job, Bernie. What, what do you say? <laughs> uh, I guess good job is sufficient. <laughs> All right. Well, after the break, they 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 moved on, and by they, I mean Anderson Cooper, to the Hillary Clinton email situation. And uh, as you may have heard, Bernie Sanders came to her aid. Clinton, Secretary Clinton, you are going to be testifying before Congress next week about your emails. For the last eight months, you haven't been able to put this issue behind you. You dismissed it. You joked about it. You called it a mistake. What does that say about your ability to handle far more challenging crises as president? Well, I've taken responsibility for it. I did say it was a mistake. Uh, What I did was allowed by the State Department, but it wasn't the best choice. And I have been as transparent as I know to be, turning over 55,000 pages of my emails, asking that they be made public. And you're right, I am going to be testifying. I've been asking to testify for some time and to do it in public, which was not originally uh, agreed to. But let's just take a minute here and point out that this committee is basically an arm of the Republican National Committee. It is a partisan vehicle, as admitted by the House Republican Majority Leader, Mr. McCarthy, uh, to drive down my poll numbers. Big surprise. And that's what they have attempted to do. I am still standing. I am happy to be part of this debate. And I intend to keep talking about the issues that matter to the American people. You know, I I believe strongly that we need to be talking about what people talk to me about. Like, how are we going to make college affordable? How are we going to pay down student Secretary, debt? How are we uh, going to get health care for everybody? And Secretary, Clinton, Secretary Clinton, down? with all due respect, it's a little hard. I mean, isn't it a little bit hard for you to call this just a partisan issue? There's an FBI investigation, and President Obama himself just two days ago said this is a legitimate issue. Well, I, didn't, I never said it wasn't legitimate. I said that I have answered all the questions, and I will certainly be doing so again before this committee. But I think it would be really unfair not to look at the entire picture. This committee has spent four and a half million dollars of taxpayer money, and they said that they were trying to figure out what we could do better to protect our diplomats so that something like Benghazi wouldn't happen again. There were already seven committee reports about what to do. So I think it's pretty clear what their obvious Uh, uh, goal is, but I'll be there. I'll answer their questions. But tonight, I want to talk not about my emails, but about what the American people want from the next president of the United States. Let me say this. Let me say say something that may not be great politics. But I think the secretary is right. And that is that the American people are sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails. Thank you. Me too. And let me say something about the media as well. I go around the country, talk to a whole lot of people. Middle class of this country is collapsing. We have 27 million people living in poverty. We have massive wealth and income inequality. Our trade policies have cost us millions of decent jobs. The American people want to know whether we're going to have a democracy or an oligarchy as a result of Citizens United. Enough of the emails. Let's talk about the real issues facing America. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you. 
tried to turn that into a a moment for herself, and he yoink, he jerked it right away and made it an awesome moment for him. I feel like I'm being proved wrong at every turn. You're talking about the voice? <laughs> I'm talking about the laughing. Oh, yeah. And I'm also... Anderson tried to make her stop talking again. Although, I still maintain that you have selected these clips. But really? I, that's not fair. Okay, we'll see. Continue. All right. All right, well, this this was, this was a question that I thought was kind of a... What Sarah Palin would refer to as a gotcha question. Mm-hmm. And it comes from a Facebook user. And, well, I'll just... You guys be the judge. I want to talk about issues of race in America. For that, I want to start off with Don Lemon. Don? All right, Anderson. Thank you very much. Not sure how to follow that. But this question is about something that has tripped some of the candidates up out on the campaign trail. Can you hear me? Can't hear me in the room. Okay, here we go again. As I said... My question for the candidates is, do black lives matter or do all lives matter? The question from Arthur in Des Moines <laughs> well, is, do black lives matter or do all lives matter? Let's put that question to Senator Sanders. Black lives matter. And the reason, the reason those words matter is the African-American community knows that on any given day, some innocent person like Sandra Bland can get into a car, and then three days later she's going to end up dead in jail. Or their kids are going to get shot. We need to combat institutional racism from top to bottom. And we need major, major reforms in a broken criminal justice system in which we have more people in jail than China. And I intend to tackle that issue to make sure that our people have education and jobs rather than jail cells. I don't think there's a more artful way to answer that question than what he just came up with. Even when they ask, do black lives matter or do all lives matter? It's either or question. He says black lives matter. And then he says, the reason those words mean so much, not the reason black lives matter more than all lives matter. He said the reason, though, he understands and is trying to explain that there is a, a message that is explained in that in that phrase, in that saying. I, I think he handled that about as skillfully as anybody could. I agree. And I've seen people that are upset that that question was asked. I'm a little, I think it's lame. And believe that, you know the movement kind of needs to go away because all lives matter, right? That's the counter to it. Well, but the thing is, I think that people who say that are being willfully ignorant of what the movement is standing for and what it means. Well, I don't know if it's willfully ignorant. I think that Black Lives Matter is probably not doing a, a good enough job of explaining exactly what their position is. That could also be the case. Yeah. I will, I'll give you that. So next up, uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders spar a little bit on Wall Street regulation, which shouldn't be a shocker to those of you who are a little bit more adroit about the specifics of the differences between the two candidates. Uh, I do just for viewers at home who may not be reading up on this, Glass-Steagall's Depression-era banking laws repealed in 1999 and prevented commercial banks from engaging investment banking and insurance activities. Secretary Clinton, I mean, he raises 
A fundamental difference on this day. Senator Sanders wants to break up the big Wall Street banks. You don't. You say charge the banks more, continue to monitor them. Why is your plan better? Well, my plan is more comprehensive, and frankly, it's tougher because, of course, we have to deal with the problem that the banks are still too big to fail. We can never let the American taxpayer and middle-class families ever have to bail out the kind of speculative behavior that we saw. But we also have to worry about some of the other players. AIG, a big insurance company, Lehman Brothers, an investment bank. There's this whole area called shadow banking. That's where the experts tell me the next potential problem could come from. So I'm with both Senator Sanders and Governor O'Malley in putting a lot of attention onto the banks. And the plan that I have put forward would actually empower regulators to break up big banks if we thought they posed a risk. But I want to make sure we're going to cover everybody, not what caused the problem last time, but what could cause it next Senator time. Senator Sanders, Secretary Clinton just please. said that her policy is tougher than yours. Well, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> Why? Let us be clear that the greed and recklessness and illegal behavior of Wall Street, where fraud is a business model, helped to destroy this economy and the lives of millions of people. Check the record. In the 1990s, and all due respect, in the 1990s, when I had the Republican leadership and Wall Street spending billions of dollars in lobbying, when the Clinton administration, when Alan Greenspan said, what a great idea it would be to allow these huge banks to merge, Bernie Sanders fought them and helped lead the opposition Bernie to deregulation. Sanders. Today, it is my view that when you have the three largest banks in America are much bigger than they were when we bailed them out for being too big to fail, we have got to break them up. Secretary Clinton, you have to be able to respond. Yeah. He brought you up. You know, I, I respect the passion and intensity. I represented Wall Street as a senator from New York, and I went to Wall Street in December of 2007, before the big crash that we had, and I basically said, cut it out. Quit foreclosing on homes. Quit engaging in these kinds of speculative behaviors. I took on the Bush administration for the same thing. So I have thought deeply and long about what we're going to do to do exactly what I think both the senator and the governor want, which is to rein in and stop this risk. And my plan would have the potential of actually sending the executives to jail. Nobody went to jail after $100 billion in fines were paid and would give regulators the authority to go after the big banks. But I'm telling you, you, I will say it tonight. If only you look at the big banks, you may be missing the forest for the trees. We've got to look at all the other financial institutions. Bernie, say by You do not. I will give you a second. Thank you. I'll tell him. In my view, Secretary Clinton, you do not, Congress does not regulate Wall Street. Wall Street regulates Congress. And we have got to break off these banks, going to them so, and saying, please do the right thing. No, that's is not kind what, of that, naive. Look, I think Dodd-Frank was a very that. good start. And I think that we have to implement it. We have to prevent the Republicans from ripping it apart. We have to save the Consumer Financial Protection Board, which is finally beginning to act Changing to protect the consumers. We have work to do. You'll get no argument from me. But I know if we don't come in with a very tough and comprehensive approach like the plan I'm recommending, we're going to be behind instead of ahead. Of what the next- so I just want to go back prior to Bernie Sanders being allowed to come in and respond. She says 
I represented Wall Street. That means Wall Street is in New York City. She was a senator from New York, so that means she was the representative for the people who work there. Mm -hmm. She goes, I went to Wall Street and basically, (laughs) basically said, cut it out. (laughs) So he's exactly right. And this is, I hope that they make political fodder of this because she says, well, I just basically went there and said, hey, guys, stop it. And Bernie Sanders says, listen, that's not, it doesn't, you can't just go and like mildly suggest something when our economy was effectively in ruins because of these speculative bankers and mortgage brokers in 2008. He has some good ideas here, and I hope he takes advantage of the differences between he and Hillary Clinton. So next up is Lincoln Chafee, in direct relation to all of this, being asked about his very first vote in the Senate when the repeal of Glass-Steagall came up and what his particular vote was. Governor Chafee, you've attacked Secretary Clinton for being too close to Wall Street banks. In 1999, you voted for the very bill that made banks bigger. Uh, the Glass-Steagall was my very first vote. I just arrived. My dad had died in office. I was appointed to the office. It was my are very you saying, first vote. Are you saying you didn't know what you were voting for? I just arrived the Senate. Uh, I think we get some takeovers. That was one. It was my very first vote, and it was 95 92.5, it was the, the record. With, with all due respect, let me though, just sir, say, what does that say about you, that you're casting a vote for something you weren't really sure about? I think you're being a little rough. I just arrived at the United States Senate. I'd been mayor of my city. My dad had died. I'd been appointed by the governor. It was the first vote, and it was 90 to 5. So he wants a takeover, Is the, were his words. So he means a redo. He, he wants a redo, a do-over on the Glass-Steagall vote, but won't allow Hillary Clinton her Iraq war vote. Now, obviously, people died during the Iraq war, and, you know, people lost millions, hundreds of millions of dollars during the 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 crash of 2008. But you don't get to say she doesn't get a do-over, but I, ah, give me a do-over. You're being a little rough on me. Eh, not when you want to be president of the United States. So a little later, they moved on to the Patriot Act and NSA surveillance. And again, here we go. Lincoln Chafee gets to mix it up a little bit with Hillary Clinton. Governor Chafee, you and Hillary Clinton both voted for the Patriot Act, which created the NSA surveillance program. You've emphasized civil liberties, privacy during your campaign. Aren't these two things in conflict? No, that was another uh, 99 to 1 vote uh, for the Patriot Act. And it was seen as, at the time, uh, modernizing ability to do what we've always done to tap phones, which always required a warrant. And do you, do I voted you for that, that. Now, no, no. As long as you're getting a warrant, I believe that under the Fourth Amendment, uh, you should be able to do surveillance. But you need a warrant. That's what the Fourth Amendment says. And in the Patriot Act, Section 215 started to get uh, broadened too far. So I would be in favor of uh, addressing and reforming Sec- Section 215 of the Patriot Secretary Act. Secretary Clinton, do you regret your vote on the Patriot Act? No, I don't. I think um, that uh, it was necessary to make sure that we were able, after 9-11, to put in place the security that we needed. And it is true that it did require that there be a process. What happened, however, is that the Bush administration began to chip away at that process. And I began to speak out about their use of warrantless uh, 
uh, surveillance and the other behavior that they engage in. We always have to keep the balance of civil liberties, privacy and security. It's not easy in a democracy, but we have to keep it in mind. Bullshit. There would have been no ability for them to move into warrantless wiretaps unless it was authorized by the Patriot Act, which it is. So you can't hide behind, and it's a bummer that Anderson Cooper didn't pull her out on this, but you can't hide behind that which is not fact. Well, when they went to Bernie Sanders and asked him specifically about shutting down NSA surveillance, he made no bones about his answer. Senator, Senator Sanders, you're the only one on this stage who voted against the Patriot Act. Was it 99 And the reauthorization well, votes. Let me ask you, if elected, would you shut down the NSA surveillance program? I'm sorry? Would you shut down the NSA surveillance Absolutely, program? Absolutely, of course. You would? Well, Point blank. Well, I would shut down. Make, I'd shut down what exists right now is that virtually every telephone call in this country up in a file at the NSA, that is unacceptable to me. But it's not just government surveillance. I think the government is involved in our emails, is involved in our websites. Corporate America is doing it as well. If we are a free country, we have the right to be free. Yes, we have to defend ourselves against terrorism, but there are ways to do that without impinging on our constitutional rights and our privacy rights. He got a little muddled there, and it bums me out. It, it, it kind of points to maybe his soft understanding of the Constitution. I don't know. But if Facebook or Google read your emails, they're not violating the Constitution because the Constitution guarantees you free of encroachment of the government from reading your emails and surveilling you. I, I think he's a little hitting a little too hard against corporations and eh, trying mm-hmm. to be, you know, the crazy anti-casino capitalist guy when he should kind of just stick to the questions at hand. Right. Well, they moved on kind of related to this, but they he she they went through and asked the candidates whether Snowden was a hero or a traitor. Edward Snowden, is he a traitor or a hero? No, I would bring him home. The courts have ruled that what he did was, a, what he did was say the American, home, no jail the American government was acting illegally. That's what the federal courts have said. What Snowden did sh- showed that the American government was acting illegally per the Fourth Secretary Amendment. Clinton, so I would bring him home. Traitor. Yes. He broke the laws of the United States. He could have been a whistleblower. He could have gotten all of the protections of being a whistleblower. He could have raised all the issues that he has raised. And I think there would have been a positive response uh, to that. Should he do in jail addition, time? In addition, he stole very important information that has unfortunately uh, fallen into a lot of the wrong hands. Governor so O'Malley? I don't think he should be brought home without facing the music. Governor O'Malley, Snowden. Anderson, Snowden put a lot of Americans' lives at risk. Snowden broke the law. Whistleblowers do not run to Russia and try to get protection from Putin. If he really believes that, he should be back here. Senator Sanders? Edward Snowden. I I think um, Snowden played a very important role in educating the American people uh, to the degree in which civil and our constitutional rights are being undermined. Is he a hero? He He did break the law, and I think there should be a penalty to that. But I think... What he did in educating us should be taken into consideration before he is. Senator Webb, Edward Snowden. I, well, I, I would leave his ultimate 
uh, judgment to the legal system. Here's what I do believe. We have a serious problem in terms of the collection of personal information in this country. So Hillary Clinton's statement about Edward Snowden saying that he could have gotten all the protections of being a whistleblower. PolitiFact has ruled this claim mostly false. They say, do they really? Yes. They they say a key 1998 law focusing on intelligence community workers does lay out a pathway Snowden could have followed. However, there is at least a significant legal debate over whether the issues Snowden wanted to wanted to raise would fall under that law. Additionally, legal experts, including an army inspector general have said that the 1998 law does not protect whistleblowers from reprisals. Huh? The protections that Clinton referenced do not seem to be as strong as he, as she suggested. And most of the expert opinions suggest that would not apply to Snowden. That is news to me too, because I was going to say, I wrote down here, I agree with HC exclamation point Hmm. (laughs) but i I don't think it's well and the reason is i guess it's it's i i don't think it's as cut and dry as hero or traitor i think he could have done something that could be considered heroic but he did it in a traitorous way he did it in a way that wasn't as upstanding because you don't run to russia I, i don't know i think it's tough but it's it's nice to hear so many people who pseudo share the same opinion as me on the democratic stage so next up they ask a series of questions one question to all the candidates and is how would your administration not be a third obama administration another question for each of you starting with uh, with governor chafee name the one thing the one way that your administration would not be a third term of president obama certainly ending the wars uh We've got to stop these wars. We have, a, we have to have a new dynamic, a new paradigm. Uh, we just spent half a billion dollars arming and training soldiers, the, the rebel soldiers in Syria. They quickly joined the other side. President Obama's we generals right now the, are suggesting keeping troops in Afghanistan a, after the time he wanted them pulled out. Would you yeah, keep like them there? I'd like to finish my question, my, my answer. Uh, and also, we just <laughs> bombed a hospital. We've uh, had drone strikes that... Uh, hit civilian weddings. So I would change how we our approach to the Middle East. We need a new paradigm in the Middle East. Moving on to O'Malley, how would your administration not be a third term for Obama? Governor O'Malley, how would you be different than President Obama's administration? I would follow through on the promise that the American people thought we made as Democratic Party to protect the Main Street economy from recklessness on Wall Street. I would push to separate out these too-big-to-jail, too-big-to-fail banks and 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 put in place Glass-Steagall, a modern Glass-Steagall that creates a firewall so that this wreckage of our economy can never happen again. And then he asks, obviously, the next, Hillary Clinton, how would your administration not be a third Obama term? And she squanders her time with the microphone. Secretary Clinton, how would you not be a third term of President Obama? Well, I think that's pretty obvious. Um, I I think being the first woman president would be quite a change from the presidents we've had up until this point, including uh, President Obama. Is there a policy difference? Well, there's a lot that I uh, would like to do to build on the successes of President Obama but also, as I'm laying out, to go beyond. And that's in my economic plans, how I would deal with the prescription drug companies, how I would deal with college, how I would deal with a full range of issues that I've been talking about throughout this campaign to go further. 
So she gives a Donald Trump answer. Oh, he would all these, oh, the pharmaceuticals and the, the family, oh, it'd be great. It's going to be the best. You believe me, believe me, it's the best. She doesn't give an answer. How would it be different policy? No one's asking about whether he's a man or you're a woman. They're asking how would your policies be different than President Obama? That's an important talking point, though, that she needs to drop in. Well, she needs to drop it in maybe at a different time when she's not being asked a specific question that has substance to it. Moving on to to, to Bernie Sanders, how would your administration not be a third Obama term? And let me tell you, he doesn't say, well, I'm a Jew and President Obama's a Christian. Senator Sanders? I have a lot of respect for President Obama. I have worked with him time and time again on many, many issues. But here's where I do disagree. I believe that the power of corporate America, the power of Wall Street, the power of the drug companies, the power of the corporate media is so great that the only way we really transform America and do the things that the middle class and working class desperately need is through a political revolution when millions of people begin to come together and stand up and say our government is going to work for all of us, not just a handful of billionaires. And then finally, he asks former senator from Virginia, Jim Webb, how would your administration be different than Obama's? Senator Webb, how would he not be a third term for Obama? I got a great deal of admiration and affection for Senator Sanders, but Bernie, I don't think the revolution is going to come, and I don't think the Congress is going to pay for a lot of this stuff. And if there would be a major difference between my administration and the Obama administration. It would be in the use of executive authority. I came up as a committee counsel in the Congress, used to put dozens of bills through the House floor every year as a committee counsel in the Veterans Committee. I have a, a very strong feeling about how our federal system works and how we need to lead and energize the congressional process instead of allowing these divisions to continue to paralyze what we're doing. So I would lead working with both parties in the Congress and working through them in the traditional way that our Constitution is. Sanders- so not a lot there. All right. Well, <laughs> I guess we could have skipped that clip. <laughs> well, they take it. Well, I wanted to give everybody their time. I'm trying to give everybody a little bit of fair time. It's a little easier when there's only five candidates. Don't shake your head. Don't. I'm not. I'm You're not giving doing me anything. The, uh-huh, yeah. So I have a question. Are you going to be playing the which enemy did you make that you're most proud of? Yes. Okay. Of course. Because I have some comments. Okay, well, I picked the clip, so I picked all the good ones. Cool. Uh, is it cool now or before you were questioning? Uh, no. My judgment relative mm-hmm. to picking clips. No, wasn't doing that. All right. All right. Well, they took a break, and they came back from break, and something funny happened. Uh, we are in the final block uh, of this debate. All the candidates are, are back, uh, which I'm very happy to see. Um, <laughs> it's a long story. Uh, let's continue, shall we? Uh, Secretary Clinton, welcome back. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know, it does take me a little longer. That's, that's all right. I can say. That's right. <laughs> Look at that. I think it's very funny. You're laughing at a little she, Hillary Clinton joke. She, she, came, she was apparently running late getting back from her pee break. Because keep in mind, we're go, running on a three-hour, almost a three-hour debate. And she had to run to the bathroom, and she was late getting back, and they were worried. And then she made a joke about it, you know... It, She's got to sit down to pee. <laughs> Is that what the joke was about? That she has to sit down to pee? Or? Well, what else would it be? 
I don't know, maybe that she's older and stuff They're is all slowing old. down. They're all old. And if anybody's pee is slowing down when you get old, it's a dude's. Because the urethra runs through the prostate gland and there's some resistance there. I'm really confused then because that went over my head completely. She really meant that she had to sit down and that's well, what took her longer. She's got to take off clothes. She doesn't just whip her dick out of the zipper and piss into the urine. All right. What's happening right now? I'm explaining what I mean. Can I tell you what happened in my germaphobe brain when you did that? I had a vision of like pee <laughs> particles falling onto their pants. That's what happened. Of course, that's what you thought of. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Hillary Clinton next is asked about being a political insider. And of course, she gave her canned stupid answer. Uh, Secretary Clinton, Governor Malley says the presidency is not a crown to be passed back and forth between two royal families. This year has been the year of the outsider in politics. Just ask Bernie Sanders. Why should Democrats embrace an insider like yourself? Well, I can't think of anything more of an outsider than electing the first woman president. But I'm not just running because Uh. I would be the first woman president. I'm running because I have a lifetime of experience and getting results and fighting for people fighting for kids, for women, for families, fighting to even the odds. And I know what it takes to get things done. I know how to find common ground, and I know how to stand my ground. And I think we're going to need both of those in Washington to get anything that we're talking about up here accomplished. So I'm very happy that I have both the commitment of a lifetime and the experience of a lifetime to bring together to offer the American people. Governor Mel- you haven't had a public sector job since the early 90s, Hillary Clinton. Don't act like you're not a political insider. Being a woman does not make you an outsider to the political process. She hasn't driven a car since 1996. You were secretary of state for the most powerful nation on the planet. You were not a political outsider. Ugh. Well, as Brittany mentioned earlier... There was a series of questions, not a series of questions. One question asked to each candidate. And I thought it was weird. It was a weird question. And I thought it was answered strangely by most of the candidates. Which is, uh, the enemy of which you're most proud of having gained during your political career. First up, Lincoln Chafee. Question to each of you. If you can, just try to 15 seconds if you can. Uh, Governor Chafee, Franklin Delano Roosevelt once said, I ask you to judge me by the enemies I have made. You've all made a few people upset over your political careers. Which enemy are you most proud of? (laughs) I guess the coal lobby. I've worked hard for climate change and I want to work with the coal lobby. uh, But in my time in the Senate, tried to bring them to the table so that we could address carbon dioxide. I'm proud to uh, be at odds with the coal lobby. I think that's a decent answer. I'm proud to be at odds with the coal lobby. Next up, Martin O'Malley. Governor O'Malley. The National Rifle Association. That is a well-constructed, very short, politically expedient answer. Next up, Hillary Clinton. Secretary Clinton. Well, in addition to the NRA, uh, the health insurance companies, the drug companies, um, the Iranians, um, <laughs> probably the Republicans. <laughs> and I would say 
that saying the Republicans are your enemies is a little harsh. Political opponents aren't necessarily your enemies. I felt the same way, but I think that's my own kind of bias coming in because I post so many things about political biases and the whole Republicans are evil, liberals are evil. That doesn't get us anywhere. And I don't think it's productive. And you're going to have to work with these people. That's exactly right. And so to say that they're your enemy... I mean, that doesn't bode well. You need to be able to work with these people. Well, it also goes back to my earlier point that audio and video are saved for our posterity's sake. And when she goes into the general election, this will be able to be used against her. That well, Are you saying I'm your enemy or I'm just, yeah, I'm your opponent? Right. I wonder if she regretted it the moment she said it. Maybe so, because it's an unconventional question. It's a question I don't think I've ever heard asked in a debate. Next up, Bernie Sanders. Senator Sanders. As someone who has taken on probably every special interest that there is in Washington, uh, I would lump Wall Street and the pharmaceutical industry at the top of my list of people who do not like me. (laughs) And finally, I mean, I don't think any explanation needs to be given there. Bernie Sanders gave a, a good answer. Next up would be Jim Webb. Next up and finally would be Jim Webb. Senator Webb. I'd have to say the enemy soldier that threw the grenade that wounded me, but he's not around right now to <laughs> talk to. All right. All right. It's he's been, talking about killing somebody. It's been talked about because... It's him not knowing his fucking audience. Yeah. Um, You're in a room... Filled to the gills with Democrats, (laughs) with people who are wildly applauding everything that Bernie Sanders says. You don't talk about how you killed a dude in Vietnam. (laughs) Yeah. So there have been articles circulating now saying Jim Webb wouldn't be the first president to have killed a man. So if he were to be elected, he wouldn't be the first president to kill someone. Teddy Roosevelt did. John F. Kennedy probably did. They mention Andrew Jackson in this article. Yeah, slave-owning, $20 bill residing. He killed someone in a duel Yeah, well, stemming from insults. Right, that's back in the day. It was 1806. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a very different time. Right. Apparently, Grover Cleveland personally executed two convicts while wow. serving as the sheriff of Erie County, New York. That is a different time. The goddamn. That's 1912. <laughs> yes. Personally executed. All right. Well, now we move on to the closing statements of the candidates, Kathy. First up, Lincoln Chafee. Time for closing statements. Each of you will have 90 seconds. Governor Chafee, let's begin with you. Thank you, Anderson. Thank you, CNN. And thank you, Facebook, for sponsoring this debate. America has many challenges confronting us. Ending the perpetual wars, addressing climate change, addressing income inequality, funding education, funding infrastructure, funding health care, helping black Americans, helping Native Americans. We have many challenges. Who's best able to confront these challenges? I've served in government at many levels. I know what it's like to solve problems at the local level because I did it as mayor. I know how to get legislation passed through Congress because I did it as a senator. I know how to turn around a state because I did it as governor of Rhode Island. But what I'm most proud of is that in 30 years of public service, I have had no scandals. 
I have high ethical standards. And what I'm most proud of is my judgment, particularly in the Iraq war vote. There was a lot of pressure, political pressure, public pressure, but I did my homework. And I did not believe that the evidence was there that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. And we live now with the consequences. So that kind of judgment is what we want in a president going forward. And I'm running for president to end the wars. I want to be the peacemaker. I am a proven peacemaker. Please go to Chafee 2016 to learn more about me. Thank you. Governor Chafee, thank you very much. I love that he got his website in there, which is something, it's not the first time you're going to hear that. It's not the only time. It is the first time. It's not the only time. You know, I didn't mind Chafee. I thought he did a pretty good job. So did I. He challenged Anderson Cooper, and I felt like his challenges were appropriately conveyed. And I think that he did a good job, and he spoke the least. I think he's a decent man, yeah. he, He had nine minutes and two seconds during the debate. Yeah, and didn't whine about having only nine minutes and two seconds. He did not. Yeah. Next up. Weiner, Jim Webb. Thank you. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure to be with you tonight. You've heard a lot of promises up here. You've heard a lot of rhetoric. They all seem to happen during campaigns, and then once the election's over, people start from scratch again and try to get things done. One of the things I can promise you, if you look at my record in and out of government, is that I've always been willing to take on the complicated, sometimes unpopular issues, and work them through, the complex issues, and work them through in order to have a solution. Uh, We did it in criminal justice reform. You've had a lot of discussion here about criminal justice reform. We did it in other ways. We need a national political strategy for our economy, for our foreign policy, for social justice, and by the way, for how you run and manage the most complex bureaucracy in the world, which is the federal government. I know how to lead. I did it in Vietnam. I did it in the Pentagon. I did it in the Senate. And if you will help me overcome this cavalcade of of financial irregularities and money that is poisoning our political process, I am ready to do that for you in the White House. Senator Webb, thank you very much. Weird he didn't complain that he didn't get enough time. All right, number three, wrapping it up almost... Martin O'Malley. Governor O'Malley, you have 90 seconds. Anderson, thank you. I am very, very grateful to have been able to be on this stage with this distinguished group of candidates tonight. And what you heard tonight, Anderson, was a very, very, and all of you watching at home, was a very, very different debate than from the sort of debate you heard from the two presidential Republican uh, uh, debates. On this stage... On this stage, you didn't hear anyone uh, denigrate women. You didn't hear anyone make racist comments about new American immigrants. You didn't hear anyone speak ill of another American because of their religious belief. What you heard instead on this stage tonight was an honest search for the answers that will move our country forward, to move us to a 100% clean electric energy grid by 2050, to to take the actions that we have always taken as Americans so that we can actually attack injustice in our country, employ more of our people, rebuild our cities and towns, educate our children at higher and better levels, and include more of our people in the economic, social, and political life of our country. I truly believe that we are standing on the threshold of a new era of American progress, 
unless you become discouraged about our gridlock in Congress, talk to our young people under 30, because you'll never find among them people that want to bash immigrants or people that want to deny rights to gay couples. That tells me we are moving to a more connected, generous, and compassionate place. And we need to speak to the goodness within our country. Governor O'Malley, thank you very much. Everything he said was very true. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think it's what really spoke to me uh, about the debate. And juxtaposing this debate with the Republican debates... It is very difficult to be disappointed in the Republican Party because so much of the conversation revolves around things. It's difficult to not be disappointed. Yes. I think I was talking over when you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Because the things that that the Republicans talk about are things that don't necessarily matter. Talking about religion, talking about how Muslims can't be president, talking about, you know, how the how gays can't get married, the litany of science issues that they don't believe in. Right. And there is a huge difference here between the two parties. And this is where the Republicans you're, are failing millennials. You're preaching. You're preaching. And you're making sense to me, especially because they're going to lose millennials. And if they don't get it together and start talking about things and, and get in line with modernity here, yeah, it's going to be a real difficult election and a real hard time for people that are disappointed in Democrats winning elections because the Democrats will continue to win the White House unless, unless the Republican Party changes. Well, I said when I was on on Sable and Dave's show, the Indispensable Thursday show podcast, that this election, every election, they say, is the most important election of all time. And this one, I don't think is maybe the most important of all time, generally, but it is for the Republican Party. Because if they don't get their shit together, they may just die. Because if you lose millennials right now, you're losing a giant swath of support for your party and you, it might be too late to turn back. Because like he said, Martin O'Malley just said so wisely, if you talk to millennials, whether they be Republican or Democrat, you're not hearing hatred for gays. You're not hearing doubt about global warming and science. You're not hearing this, this crazed, maniacal attitude toward immigrants whether they be undocumented or not or vaccines didn't even need to come up there's a consensus doesn't even need to be discussed that's exactly right things like that right well let's gay marriage wasn't even asked about at this at this thing because we know well it was the first question because hillary clinton didn't used to be well other than that but everyone is for it now right right all right let's let's we got two more we have uh bernie sanders and hillary clinton which i won't name because i think it's obvious who they are Kathy. (laughs) (laughs) Senator Sanders, final closing thoughts, 90 seconds. This is a great country, but we have many, many serious problems. We should not be the country that has the highest rate of childhood poverty of any major country and more wealth and income inequality than any other country. We should not be the only major country on earth that does not guarantee health care to all of our people as a right of citizenship. And we should not be the only major country that does not provide medical and, per- and parental leave, family and parental leave, to all of our families. Now, at the end of the day, here is a truth that very few candidates will say. 
is that nobody up here, certainly no Republican, can address the major crises facing our country unless millions of people begin to stand up to the billionaire class that has so much power over our economy and our political life. Jim Webb is right. Money is pouring into this campaign through super PACs. We are doing it the old-fashioned way, 650,000 individual contributions. And if people want to help us out, BernieSanders.com, we are averaging 30 bucks a piece. We would appreciate your help. And overnight, he took in almost a million and a half dollars. Probably just from that plug right there. So he's definitely resonating. All right, we'll wrap it up with Hillary Clinton. Secretary Clinton. Thank you very much, Anderson. And thanks to all the viewers who tuned in tonight. I think what you did see is that in this debate, we tried to deal with some of the very tough issues facing our country. That's in stark contrast to the Republicans who are currently running for president. What you have to ask yourself is who amongst us has the vision for actually making the changes that are going to improve the lives of the American people, who has the tenacity and the ability and the proven track record of getting that done. Now, I revere my late mother, and she gave me a lot of good advice, but one of the best pieces of advice she gave me was, you know, the issue is not whether or not you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. America's been knocked down. That great recession, nine million people lost their jobs. Five million lost their homes. $13 trillion in wealth disappeared. And although we've made progress, we're standing but not running the way America needs to. My mission as president will be to raise incomes for hardworking middle-class families and to make sure that we get back to the basic bargain I was raised with. If you work hard and you do your part, you should be able to get ahead and stay ahead. Please join me in this campaign. Please come and make it clear that America's best days are still ahead. Thank you very much. And that is it. They wrapped it up succinctly. I think each one said something, maybe save Jim Webb. Every single one of them said something uh, notable. Poor Jim Webb. Yeah, terrible. He's fucking gone. So so to wrap it up, I guess I'll just restate, like this is some kind of a college essay. I'll restate my, my opening salvo, which would be that Webb is gone. Chafee will be soon to follow, if not right alongside. And Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton ended up, I think, flat, equal in this in the count of losing or gaining supporters. And if anybody was was to have won this, it will be O'Malley because I believe he gained support and will rise in the polls in the days to come. We want to hear from you. 657-464-7609. That is our number. Of course, you can email idoubtit at dollamore.com to send a voice memo from your smartphone. And we're going to leave you with a voicemail from a listener who missed the debate 
but came down with a very different perspective about things. And I, I thought it was meaningful and moving, and I wanted to share it with you. So we're going to leave you with that rather than signing off with music. We love you guys. We appreciate you. And until next time, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. I wanted to drop you guys a line because something very funny happened to me tonight, and <laughs> maybe it won't play well with you know what's happening and with what's currently trending, I guess, or whatever, but I thought it was interesting because... I, as I've gotten older, you know, I've gone through a process of being more and more and more interested in what's happening politically and how that affects my life. And, you know, I've very much settled into the idea that I am a Democrat. I am on the left. Um, I don't agree with all the ideology that's on the left, but I am definitely more of a Democrat than a Republican, and I was really looking forward to the debate tonight. I've been planning on watching it for weeks. I had it all planned out, and so what happened for me tonight is that I got home from work, and my wife's out of town. She she works too. She's in Washington, D.C. right now traveling on business, and she's going to be gone all week, so I'm kind of taking care of you know, both the roles, my wife and I, we, you know, we're a team. So we raise, and we raise our children as a team. And, but when she's gone, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's on me. So I take care of everything. And so while she was gone, my oldest son, who is a, a bit of a procrastinator, he comes and he says, Hey dad, I got this, you know, I got this great big physics. He's in uh, AP physics. So advanced placement physics. And I'm super proud of him, and it, it's a great thing. But anyways, he comes, and he, he says, Dad, I, I got this project, and, and we need to work it out. And, you know, I there's, you know, three girls that are at my table in physics, and they're all busy. And so you and I, we need to build a a some type of a launching mechanism that will launch a golf ball at different angles, and then we're going to calculate the – distance that the golf ball will travel based on the angle that we launch it and it's a physics problem that that and everything's due tomorrow so we need to go to home depot and buy some wood and you know he's got these ideas and in my mind i'm thinking wow I, we're gonna do what so anyway we first off we get in a little bit of a fight because i'm like god damn it you need to tell me stuff like this earlier and he explains himself. He's like, well, we the professor assigned it on Monday, and then we talked it over, and we worked a little bit on it Tuesday. And then today we decided who was going to do what you know, for our group. And the girls said that they were busy and that they had a lot of homework. And, Dad, we both know that I don't, and I get through my homework easy, so we're, we need to build this. So my older son is – he's more – little more introverted so the idea of getting to spend time with him building something and doing something together was exciting and it was very funny to me because we got into the project and we go to home depot and we 
by the wood and we're trying to figure out first off how we even want to build something that will launch a golf ball at different angles and we're just trying to build it and as we get into the process <laughs> we go and we buy some stuff and we realize okay we're going to need some other things so we go to a different store and we buy some other things we end up going to like three stores and we buy all this stuff then we get home and we're getting the drill out and we're drilling holes and and we're ciphering through you know what's going to work and how it's going to work and then we we get the whole thing built and we've got duct tape and we've got a workout strap you know flexible strap that people use for stretching and different things like like that and and we've got all these different materials together wood screws and wood that's been cut into different lengths and we screw it all together and we put it all together and we're testing it out and it works and we're both so excited and we go through this whole giant process and when we're done i realize at the very very end of everything uh my older you know my son he goes back into the room and he says Oh, hey, Dad, M Mom tried to call you. And I was thinking, oh, crap. We got so involved in the project that, you know, I kind of had forgotten that she was probably trying to get a hold of me. So I started texting her, and then I asked my older son, I said, well, did Mom, how do you, you know, what was Mom up to? And he said, oh, she was watching the debate. And it struck me, it really struck me, because... I hadn't remembered the debate at all. I hadn't even thought about it. It wasn't even wasn't even part of my 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 universe. And it was I'm getting emotional and stupid, but it's so funny to me because things are so important and they are. It's not that they're not important, but life life has this way of it comes in on you, you know, and you you get caught up in what's really, truly important. And it's so fantastic and great. And I had this flood of emotion of <laughs> the debate. The debate's not important to me at all. What's important to me is sitting here, screwing around, trying to build this golf ball launcher for a physics project with my son. And it, it was this beautiful, beautiful moment of transcendent, you know, it was so great for me because I think we all have a tendency. We get so wrapped up in in everything that's happening all the time that we forget that the people who are in our life are what really, really matter. And it was it was just a, a great experience for me and something that really kind of shifted my paradigm off of, you know, off of what it is. And it, it maybe this won't play well with what's happening now, but... I just wanted to share it because it was, it was really great for me. I love you guys. Keep it up.